horror as a genre is one of the fastest evolving genres of films because it replicates the current social issues of the time. And the 80s were hands down the most iconic time for the horror franchise. Films even to this day feel the need to go back to the 1980s for inspiration. With films like Stephen King's It and Stranger Things being standout examples of this trend. So why do we need to go back to the 1980s for so many horror films? Personally, I think there are two main reasons. The Reagan administration and feminism. The horror film is what happens when a culture begins to decay. And the 1980s were very good at showing us the danger of this decay. So, let's take a break from covering traditional politics and look into the culture. I'm Tim Shrimp, and you're listening to a spooky episode of the All You Can Eat Shrimp Podcast. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy. The 80s were a very iconic time. Not only for culture, but for all the eventful things that happened in politics. President Ronald Reagan and his administration was a pivotal moment in not only conservatism, but American politics in general. And as a result, no matter what part of the aisle you are on, you look at the Reagan administration as well as the 80s in general as one of two extremes. If you're on the right, like myself, you probably look back at Reagan's time in office as very successful where the big government was starting to be slashed in many ways. And you got to see a return of Christianity in politics, at least it influencing politicians' personal lives as well as their policies, such as the war on drugs. However, people on the left, and even some moderates on the right, tend to point out Reagan's faults that we still see to this day, such as Reagan pushing for policies that would be very tough on crime which would be emulated by both policies, even Joe Biden, who would go on to write both the 1994 Crime Bill and the Patriot Act. And that's why horror films from this time period really stand out. Even though these films are almost half a century old at this point, many modern horror films still draw influence from them, because there's actually a lot of political commentary in these horror films reflected not only the Reagan administration and his policies, there's, there's, there's actually a lot of political commentary going on in a lot of 80s horror films, specifically how the Reagan administration and his political opponents shape not only the culture, but the media around them as well. A lot of people tend to credit Ronald Reagan with everything that happened in the 80s, and I don't think that's a fair assessment whether you think he's the best president ever or one of the worst presidents ever. The Reagan administration is often credited slash blamed for bringing the influence of a Christian worldview back into politics, especially evangelicalism. I mean, yeah, it is true Ronald Reagan was the first president to be endorsed by the National Association of Evangelicalisms, and he was very vocal about his faith-based approach to politics. However, it is unfair to say he brought religion back into politics, at least single-handedly. In a lot of ways, Reagan was just riding the same wave of his predecessor, Jimmy Carter. Reagan just happened to be the best at communicating it. 
Added with a booming economy, it's no secret why people gravitated to Ronald Reagan's upbeat, faith-based approach to politics. And this influx of Christians talking about their faith in a social manner brought the slasher film into public popularity. Yeah, that sounds like a very extreme claim. However, a lot of slasher films are influenced by Christian values, at least here in America. And a lot of the tropes created within the horror genre can often be attributed to a Christian worldview of morality. Just look at the self-aware horror classic Scream and how it tells you exactly how to survive any horror film. Basically, there are two major rules that they give us on surviving a horror film. Rule 1. Don't drink. Rule 2. Don't have premarital sex. Essentially, don't do things that are unbefitting of a good Christian family. Go ahead, name one horror film that takes place in Utah and targets a Mormon. I'll wait. And we can see this bias towards Christianity in slasher films where the first kill in any horror film is the couple that has sex. And the only person to survive the horror film is a virgin. Essentially, the slasher film is showing what happens when Christian influences, such as Nancy Reagan's anti-drug campaigns and other Christian influences on society, showing a starch contrast to the sexual liberation of the 1970s, pushed by feminism. And when you look at the other end of the extreme of films that try to criticize this form of evangelicalism, such as Stephen King's Children of the Corn, they tend to not do well either financially or with critics, and especially did not gravitate towards audiences when it was released. It was just too hard for audiences to gravitate towards this criticism of conservatism and Christianity the same year Ronald Reagan won re-election by 49 states. In fact, horror in general has a tendency to lean towards the political right. I mean, at least more than other genres of film. This is because conservatism is about preserving tradition. So it's really not that surprising that horror films with a political message tend to show the dangers of a changing society. Just look at other films like Psycho and Silence of the Lamb, which criticize transgenderism. Even the master of horror himself, Stephen King, had to concede that horror is conservative in its very nature. Which is why it's very weird that film historians tend to look back at 80s horror as a criticism of Reagan rather than a criticism of the left and the way they chose to break away from the values that Reagan was pushing at the time. In a lot of ways, horror is seen as a cautionary tale on what happens when a society strays too far away from traditional values. Which is why horror tends to condemn many aspects of progressivism, such as feminism. The 80s were an interesting time for women and the family dynamic. Women were entering the workforce in massive numbers for the first time since World War II. It was also the first time in history that women began to graduate college at a higher rate than men primarily thanks to the feminist movement of the 1970s really pushing for aspects of gender equality. 
Feminism argued that women shouldn't have to pause their careers to start a family. Their children saw an increase in both parents working, as well as the rise of single-family homes, making Gen X more independent at a relatively young age, creating the idea of latchkey kids, essentially a child that was expected to take care of themselves after school because their parents were at work. Odds are, if you're under 30, like me, you probably also had been a latchkey kid. So it was the first time families, especially women, had less involvement in their kids' life during a time of peace. So why is this important? Women had evolved to protect their children and be the primary caregivers, while men, on the other hand, evolved to sacrifice their family. The mother would stay and protect the clan while the father would go off to fight whatever battle needed to be fought that day. Whether it be prehistoric man and gathering food to ensure that the family survives or the modern day man and working a very intense or the modern man working a very high demand job to care for their family. The man's job is to sacrifice while the mother's job is... Essentially, society saw the father's role as to protect us from, to protect the family from external threats, while the mother's duty is to maintain the household. There actually are a lot of studies that show that women going through pu- ah. There actually are a lot of studies that show that the brains of women who experience pregnancy undergo massive change such as pathways in the brain making women more vigilant and hyper-aware of others' emotions, as well as their actions. Essentially, very important things for the role of motherhood. Motherhood is one of the most important roles, because nurturing an infant at a young age is important to the psychological development of a child. Ideally, not only does the mother make sure that the child grows up into a functioning member of society, and that any signs of behavioral issues are snuffed out very early. This actually goes back to the 15th century, where superstition actually encouraged new mothers in feudal society to care for the newborns for the first few years of their life, believing that it would protect them from being kidnapped by fairies, and being replaced with a changeling. In mythology, a changeling is an imperfect copy of a child who wasn't fully developed, and as the child grows older, these traits become more and more prevalent, to the point where society at this time saw the child as undeveloped and dangerous. In reality, these children were most likely psychologically stunted from the lack of care. Even during feudalism, we saw the importance of a mother taking care of their child for the well-being of not only that child, but society as a whole. And as a result, all societies agreed that one parent should always be able to take care of the kid. And all societies were designed in a way that one parent was tasked with raising the child. The paternal and child bond is so important and critical to proper development of child. And feminism never accounted for this. Even to this day, feminists try to argue that women being tasked with caregiver roles is the result of society choosing to oppress women. 
Feminism honestly believed that women would feel more fulfilled by working for a heartless company for 40 hours a week for whatever pay they'll give them rather than taking care of a family in exchange for unconditional love. They also try to paint a picture of the 1950s housewife as being secretly depressed and popping Xanax just to get through the day. And I'm sure those women did exist, but they were the minority. And they tend to ignore the stereotypical 30-something millennial who has no kids, no family, other than their cats, and just drinks all the time. It's amazing how our generation is obsessed with alcohol, often to help us cope with the pain. Feminism has convinced our generation that parenthood is not important, and that parenthood, especially for women, is just a form of oppression of the patriarchy. And that's why depression in women has been going up since the 1950s, because feminism tried to convince women that parenthood isn't important. Active parenthood is important because the family is the closest you'll ever get to having a utopian society. In a good family, both the mother and father must be willing to sacrifice a lot of their own freedoms for their children, while also teaching them to someday be active members of society and willing to make those sacrifices for someone else they truly love whether that be their partner, their siblings, and of course, their future children. However, with the rise of the two-income home, the need to sacrifice for the family shifted, and it became more self-centric. Essentially, feminism put us at a crossroads between evolution and societal expectations. Many women did honestly want to break generations of social evolution to pursue a career rather than being caregivers for their children as their main priority. Before the 1980s, whenever both parents were working, whether that be all the members of the family being field hands, or every member of the family going to work in the factories during the Industrial Revolution. However, it was the 1980s. So families couldn't send little Johnny to work in the coal mine so the parents could also work. Mothers had to figure out what can they do to make sure that their kids are taken care of, but we can both also work. Which is what really popularized daycares here in America. Essentially for the first time in modern history, the public would have their children cared for by complete strangers. While the idea of nannies caring for children was common, it was only really a thing for aristocrat societies in Europe. It really was a new concept for middle-class American mothers to willingly hand their children over to a complete stranger with the expectation that they'd be able to care for their child's needs. And not surprisingly, families, especially women, were skeptical about the idea of complete strangers being caregivers for their children leading to some outlandish conspiracy theories on why daycares actually existed. And I'm talking about QAnon-level conspiracies. Many women actually believed that daycare centers were being used to traffic children. And yeah, that's an outlandish claim. But to be fair, these claims weren't necessarily based in nothing. At the time, the Catholic Church just got exposed for decades of sexual abuse 
as well as secular areas such as public schools, libraries, and daycares were exposed for sexual abusing minors left in their care. And these stories were on the news all the time. Families, especially women who just entered the workforce, were very concerned about what their kids were doing. Were they safe? Were they properly being taken care of? You had all these aspects going on, forcing women to choose between having a career or having the ability to protect their families, and the psychological impact it had on them. This fear is explored in films like Friday the 13th, where camp counselors at Camp Crystal Lake are being hunted down by a killer after the death of Jason Voorhees, who drowned in the lake because the camp counselors were not watching him. And the big reveal of the first Friday the 13th movie is the killer was Jason's mother, Pamela Voorhees, who was also a cook at the time of her son's death. Another thing that really sticks out to me is Pamela's reveal when she arrives at the camp to comfort the only living camp counselor. Go Google a photo of Pamela Voorhees real quick. The first thing you'll notice that stands out, to me at least, is that she looks like a normal mother. If you just saw this image by itself, you wouldn't realize that she's a killer. Pamela's first interaction with the main character is to comfort the only survivor of Camp Crystal Lake before it is revealed that she is the killer driven psychotic by anger and guilt. It's also revealed that Pam kills because she is angry at the camp for failing to protect her son, while on the other hand, she refuses to take responsibility as Jason's natural caregiver. The final scene of Friday the 13th is the main character reflecting on the idea of a young Jason Voorhees still sitting at the bottom of the lake, ending the film on a more somber tone than a horrific tone. This really shows the risk women had to take on when they entered the workforce. Feminism forced women to put themselves first, over their own children. If you're a good mother, you'll always love your children and want to protect them. But if you want a job, you can't always be there. So I feel like the first Friday the 13th movie and a lot of these slasher films really did ask the question, can women truly trust strangers to care for their children the same way that only they can care for them? And the answer is no. Feminism really sold the idea that women can only be successful if they dedicate their lives to a company that doesn't care about them. And as a result, the nuclear family structure was broken because both parents were working rather than the kids bonding with their parents. If you got into TikTok recently, it's no secret that a lot of millennials my age tend to have real big issues with their boomer parents. And a big issue that my generation seems to be having with their parents is the problem with wanting to start a family. There's actually a lot of women who don't feel the need to get married and have kids. And part of that does have to do with the fact that millennial women were raised by boomer mothers who weren't as involved in their child's early development life as they could have. The family unit got destroyed by feminism, convincing women that they need to focus on their career. And that really does play into the extremes of capitalism, at least in the leftist idea that capitalism is purely greed as good, where you dedicate your life to the pursuit of money and wealth. Which is why so many young people are obsessed with hustle culture, basically trying to get as much money and wealth as they can without really knowing how to invest it properly and to get their money to work for them. 
a lot of people don't have a great relationship with money because they tend to see it as a tool that brings them happiness rather than a tool that can make their life easier and they can focus less on work and focus on the more important things in life, such as the family. However, feminism has convinced many generations of young women and men that starting a family is just a form of oppression. It's amazing how the hippie culture went from this whole kit back and enjoy your community kind of mentality in the 70s, transforming into literally the caricature of what they claim Ronald Reagan was and what his policies would lead to. Feminism may not tell women that they're better off working for a faceless company, but it certainly does play into the benefits of, of this thinking of tyrants. I guess in a lot of ways the 80s was a decade where people focused on their careers, but the thing about a career is that you really can't stop building the career once you get it started. And you gotta put your family on hold if you want to focus on your career. With all this in mind, it's no surprise that the 1980s are such a big in with all these factors in mind, it's not surprising why so many fans of horror always turn back to the 80s for both piece cult class, both for pieces of original art from this decade, as well as new pieces of media. With all this in mind, it's no surprise that so many people go back to the 1980s, not just for classic films that still scare people to this day, but also for inspiration for their new films. Just like the politics of the 80s can be felt throughout our political environment, we can still feel the social impacts of the political opponents such as feminism. The 80s probably will remain a major staple in the horror genre because of the battle between conservatism and progressivism that began in the 1980s and continues to the present. So, who do you guys think had the biggest impact on the horror genre? I'm actually starting a poll on this actual episode, so listeners, let me know who you think had the biggest impact on the horror genres of the 1980s, feminism or Ronald Reagan. And if you're still unsure about who had the biggest impact, then follow the link in my description to my TikTok, where I go into more detail on specific horror films and how they talk about political issues. A really good one I just made was how the original Godzilla films are a commentary on Japan's relationship with not only nuclear energy, but also their reliance on America in a post-World War II era. So go check that out, link will be in the description. You've been listening to the All You Can Eat Shrimp Podcast. I'm Tim Shrimp, and I hope you had your fill.